Hey, you're about to watch a message that has been recorded live at Grace Family Church, South Africa. At Grace, we say, come as you are. And our mission is to love God, love people, and make a difference. And wherever you're watching this from today, uh, we hope that you're encouraged by the message that you're about to watch up next. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Have you ever prayed a prayer like Elijah did? Perhaps that's where you find yourself today. Disappointments, missed opportunities and broken dreams. They leave us feeling tired, overwhelmed, uncertain and disillusioned. We all experience these moments in life where everything feels too much and we find ourselves on our knees saying enough now. So where do we find the strength to keep going? Well, welcome wherever you're watching from. I uh, hope you've enjoyed the service so far. Um, I was going to kind of start with this prayer and now I can't get Wayne's underpants out of my head. <laughs> Thank you, Wayne, for that. <laughs> But um, I, I love that prayer, actually, that Elijah prays. And I, and I love the question, have you ever prayed a prayer like he did? A prayer that says, Lord, I've had enough now. I know I certainly have. You see, Elijah was a prophet of God. Really what that means is he was kind of a spokesperson sent to the people of Israel to remind them of who God is, what he was like. He was a prophet, but Elijah was also a man. In fact, hundreds of years later, James, the brother of Jesus, said of Elijah that Elijah was a person, a man just like us. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that while he may have been a great prophet and done great things, he was also just a regular human being like you and I, with fears and doubts and insecurities and failings and sin and hopes and dreams, just like us. A person who, in this moment, in the scriptures, in the story, came to the end of himself, sat down under a broom bush and said to God, God, just take my life. I'm done. I'm over this. I'm in, it's enough now. But, but how did Elijah get to this point? Well, well, it's fascinating because if you look back in the story, uh, Elijah's actually been on the run. Uh, he was hiding from King Ahab. Ahab was the seventh king of Israel. He was a very cruel and wicked leader. And his existence is actually documented uh, outside of the biblical uh, text. Uh, uh, he was around 800, uh, 850 B.C. Anyway, Ahab, he's hunting Elijah down. And so Elijah goes into hiding for three years. And during that time, there's this terrible drought that's kind of ravaging the land. But after the three years, God then kind of arrives to Elijah and tells Elijah to go back and to face King Ahab and to announce the end of this drought. So Elijah goes, obviously at great risk to himself. And he doesn't hold back. I mean, Elijah gives it to King Ahab. He, he berates Ahab and the people of Israel, his own people, for worshiping another god. This God called Baal. And I love how he puts it. It says this. He says to the people, How long will you go on limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. In other words, make up your mind. 
And it's interesting because the word that he uses to describe this limping, it's actually the, the same word that he uses to describe kind of a, a, a dancing or a shaking. It's, it's in earlier in 1 Kings 18. And he's, Elijah's kind of being sarcastic. He's saying, hey, you know, how long are you going to go on with your silly dancing? This, this was the, the movements that they would do during their prayer. How long are you going to keep doing this? And, and he actually challenges them to a contest. A, a, a kind of God's power versus Baal's power. This is like Israel's got talent. <laughs> and the thing about Elijah, he, he's so bold. And as I was reflecting on the story, I wondered, I wondered, have I lost, have you lost your boldness in this season? Maybe because of a drought or maybe because of persecution or setback or, or many setbacks. Elijah was incredibly bold. I want to kind of turn back to the story. It's such a fascinating story. and Perhaps you've heard the story before. But he, he proposes this kind of this test of power between Baal and between God. And, and he gets the, the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. Uh, Asherah was the, the god of fertility. And he summons them to Mount Carmel for this ultimate showdown. And on Mount Carmel, an altar is built uh, for Baal. And you, and you may know the story. Wood is laid on the altar and an ox is slaughtered and it's cut into pieces and laid on the wood. And uh, this was very common practice at the time. And Elijah then invites the priests of Baal to pray for fire to light the sacrifice. And, and these guys, they pray from morning to noon without success. And Elijah, he kind of uh, he, he ridicules their efforts. In fact, it's recorded in 1 Kings 18. This is what it says. It says, By noon, Elijah had started making fun of them and taunting. Call a little louder, he says. If, if he is God after all. Maybe he's off meditating somewhere or other. Or maybe he's gotten involved in a project. Or maybe he's on holiday. <laughs> you don't suppose he's overslept, do you? He need, and needs to be woken up. I mean, Elijah is, he's cheeky and he kind of, he responds to it. And these guys, of course, they are infuriated. They start by, by cutting themselves and adding their own blood to the sacrifice. And, and this was actually common practice at the time, this kind of self-mutilation. It was forbidden in Mosaic law, but it was a common practice for Baal worship. And, and Baal, just by the way, Baal was the, the god of of, uh, of harvest. And so you can see why this is so important because they're praying for rain. They're desperate for rain in this time of drought. And, and of course, this was how ancient people made sense of the world. But eventually, Elijah kind of says, hey guys, enough of that. It's my turn. Gather around. <laughs> okay, enough now. Let's, let, let's see the real power of God. And he builds his own altar. It's made from 12 stones. There's all kinds of symbolism around that. And he digs this huge trench around it. He lays wood on it. He, he slaughters another ox, cuts it up, puts it on the wood, builds a trench around it. And he has the people actually drench the, the, the entire altar with water. Uh, that it's so much water that it drenches everything, including filling the trench that he'd built uh, around the altar. And then uh, and pretty unceremoniously, no shaking or fancy prayers, no limping around, Elijah asks God to accept the sacrifice. And as he does that, I mean, it's an incredible moment in Scripture. Fire falls from the sky, I presume kind of lightning. It consumes the sacrifice, the stones, the, the altar, the wood, the rocks, the, the earth, and even the trench, the water in the trench is just kind of evaporated. This is dramatic stuff. 
This is Elijah at his high point. Elijah the invincible. Elijah the hero. God showing up in a miraculous supernatural way. Proving everyone else wrong and Elijah right. (laughs) And on top of that, it starts to rain from that day and the drought is over. Now, I mean, what an awesome story. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, this is like everything we want, right? I mean, this is like the dramatic intervention of God. This is like, you know, the, the atheist you know, colleague at work who always mocks you for believing in God, and then you get the promotion and he doesn't. <laughs> and, you know, you walk into your new office and you're like, too blessed. You know, but, but, but <laughs> you don't do that. But, but, but the only difference is you wouldn't murder your colleague after your promotion. I hope not. But that's what Elijah does. He orders the death of the priests of Baal, has every single one of them executed. <laughs> I mean, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, if you thought reading the Bible was boring, I mean, think again. This is like Game of Thrones on steroids. You know, this is Khaleesi burning down King's Landing. I mean, this is kind of this moment. And anyway, this is not actually the story I wanted to focus on, but it, but it helps to get context because I want to come back to the verse that we read right at the beginning where Elijah is saying, you know, Lord, kill me now. I've had enough. Because the crazy thing about that verse is it's literally a few verses after the story. And when I read that, I was kind of like, well, what happened, dude? I mean, five minutes ago, you were the hero, the chosen one, Neo in the Matrix, you know, facing the agents, Decimus Maximus Aurelius, you know, gladiator. And now you're crying under a bush saying, kill me now. What happened? You see, I think if we're honest, we we love the story of the fire coming down from heaven. No matter where you might be in your journey of faith, I think something inside of us, we all want this, this kind of supernatural breakthrough from God, a deposit into your bank account, a door that miraculously opens, a vaccine that fixes everything, your marriage to be instantly better. We we want the fire from heaven moment. But if you read the life story of Elijah, I mean Rarely read it all the way through, not just the highlights, but the behind the scenes too. That, that fire moment on Mount Carmel was just one moment in a life that otherwise was really, really difficult. A, a roller coaster of highs and lows, missed expectations and dramatic interventions, doubts and fears, anger, pain, struggle and arguments mixed together with joy and celebration and victory. I mean, isn't that life? And that's why today I want to focus not on the fire from heaven part of the story, but I want to focus on the part of the story where Elijah is hiding under a tree. I mean, how many sermons have you heard on that story? So so let's go back to 1 Kings 19. After the Mount Carmel miracle, King Ahab goes home and he's furious. He tells his wife Jezebel what happened and the murder of the priest. And and Jezebel swears to get even with Elijah, to murder Elijah. And and she sends her men after him. So we pick up in verse 3 of chapter 19. It says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Now we've read that already today, but the story doesn't end there. And God's response to Elijah, it just always amazes me and it brings me great comfort. 
Watch his response. It says, all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was, a stone, was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Man, I, I, I love freshly baked bread. I wrote about this in a, in, a, in a newsletter a few weeks ago. Some of you may have received that, but I love freshly baked bread. I, I'm sure we all do. That smell when the bread comes out of the oven. I, I, I like to take butter, uh, not this margarine rubbish. I like to take good proper butter, a thick chunk of it, smear it on the bread and watch it melt into the bread. I mean, that, that's, oh, that's the best. And that's kind of what I imagine now. As Elijah finds himself at the end of his rope, at his lowest, God, through an angel, arrives and bakes him some warm bread. Not once, but twice. I, I believe God placed this verse on my heart for you today, wherever you're watching from, whoever you're watching with, whatever season you might find yourself in, so that you may know his provision, even in the midst of trials. So that you may know the truth that this journey is indeed too much for you without God, as the angel said. And that you may be strengthened by his daily provision, by his daily bread. Jesus, hundreds of years later, taught his disciples to pray this prayer. Lord, give us today our daily bread. And I guess that is my prayer for you. That whatever you may be facing, whatever crisis you may be in, existential or circumstantial, whatever challenges may lay ahead of you, whether you've just come out of a season of victory or whether you're in the middle of a storm right now, I believe God wants to meet you right where you are. Not perhaps on the mountain with fire from heaven. Not in some dazzling display of greatness, but in his simple daily provision and presence. If you get nothing else out of this message today, get this. God loves you. Whether you're a hero of faith or whether you've completely messed this thing up, He loves you. He cares about you. And He wants to give you what you cannot give yourself. He wants to restore you. That's, that's what this story is about. That's what this meal represents. It represents the restoration of God in your life, in our lives. God wants you, God wants me to be whole mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It's so, so clear in the story. God restores Elijah in all of those ways. And then here's the key. Listen to this. He invites him and he invites us to participate in that restoration. This is so, so important because I believe when God comes to restore you, to restore us, it isn't some passive thing where we simply kind of sit back. There's a participative element to it. We talk about participating in God's mission to heal the world. We have to participate. Elijah ate. Elijah slept. And then he got up and he walked. It says strengthened by that food, he walked for 40 days and for 40 nights. And so for the rest of our time together, uh, wherever, whenever you're watching this, uh, I want to unpack just three ways that you and I get to participate in the restoration that God offers to us and wants to do in our lives. 
And these three things, they're kind of, you know, you could say they're pretty on trend right now. There are books written about these things, and there's mountains of scientific data, and TED talks about these things. But, but long before all of that, God knew what we needed, and He knows what you need now to be whole, to be at peace, and to move on to the things that He has in store for you. Greater things are yet to come. So those those three ways that we can participate in his restorative work, really taken straight out of the, the story of Elijah, is to eat, sleep, and move. Eat, sleep, and move. If you want to be healthy, if you want to be whole, if you're tired and worn out, if you, like Elijah, a person just like us, feel exhausted right now, like you've, you've had enough, I believe God can use these three things in our life. To, to help us get back on our feet, to eat, sleep, and move. I'm going to quickly cover those three ideas. Eat. Now, let me just say this up front. I'm no nutritionist, and this is certainly not a nutritional podcast or seminar, but I do know this. Garbage in, garbage out. If we want to be healthy, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, if we want to be productive, if we want to feel good about ourselves, if we want to think clearly, make wise decisions— how can we possibly separate those things from our physical body? Our, our body is the vessel that carries out all those other functions. And if we're not fueling our body well, then of course it will break down. We don't expect our cars to run on Oros. <laughs> so, so why do we expect our bodies to? Oros is delicious, no doubt. Uh, my kids love it, but it's not exactly high on the nutritional value uh, index, um, despite what my kids might say. Um, but, but look, I mean, it's better than lecal red juice. Remember that stuff? Um, if you grew up in the 80s, my parents raised me on red juice. Um, that stuff had so much MSG and colorants, you spill one drop on the counter, it'll just burn right through. You have to have like radioactive. Anyway, but, but I'm, not I'm not here to tell you, you know, to go on a diet or, what to, or you know, all that stuff. In, in fact, I'm not really a big fan of diets. I don't find them sustainable. But, but what I'm saying is this. Figuring out a healthy lifestyle that works for you and following it. And this is, it's not rocket science. To, you know, avoid simple carbohydrates, sugar, highly processed stuff, the pastries. Drink lots of water. Get enough protein, whatever your source. Eat lots of vegetables, you know, nuts, seeds, healthy fats. Try to eat something green every day. I mean, this is not complicated, but it is spiritual. For too long, Christians have pretended that this is not part of your walk with God. But it absolutely is. Does not the Bible say our bodies are a temple? The, the Apostle Paul writes, you know, your body is a temple. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What we eat matters. What we put into our body matters. Eat, sleep. People say, well, I'll sleep when I'm dead, as they hasten that very death, both literally and figuratively. We, we so often, it's a tragedy, we trade our health for a few more working hours. We trade the long-term viability of our business or our career or our relationships for the urgency of some temporal crisis. And the truth is, if we treat sleep as a luxury, it's the first to go when we're busy. If sleep is only what happens when we, everything is done, then I think we'll constantly feel frazzled and put upon like a machine that people don't take care of and assume will always function. The philosopher and writer Arthur Schopenhauer, he said this, that, 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 uh, that sleep is the source of all health and energy. Indeed, your mind and soul are incapable of sleep peace of stillness when your body is battling for survival when it's drawing on its reserves even for basic functioning happiness 
joy, contentment. Man, it's out of the question for the exhausted, overworked fool. A 2017 study found that lack of sleep had so many negative effects, but one of the biggest negative effects was uh, it increases our negative, repetitive thinking patterns. It actually changes our brain. Depression, anxiety can all be connected. Abusing the body leads the mind to abuse itself. So sleep, it's the other side of the work we're doing. It's the recharging of the internal batteries whose energy stores we recruit in order to do our work to fulfill our calling. It's the time we, we turn off. It's built into our biology for a reason. Even God rested. I, I find it interesting that Elijah took not one, but two naps in this story. My wife has taken this story very seriously. Um, but, but, but I don't think it's some trivial detail in the story. I believe what happened to Elijah under that tree is a model for us today. If you want to be at peace, if you want to be your best, go to sleep. <laughs> Eat, sleep, and then finally move. The story tells us, the scriptures, so he got up and ate and drank, and then strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. I love the story. Uh, in the 19th century, there was a, a famous um, philosopher by the name of Soren Kierkegaard, and, and every afternoon, the citizens of Copenhagen were treated to the sight of this man walking around the streets. He would write in the morning and then around noon he would head out into the busy streets of the city for, lo for a long brisk walk. And everyone saw him and he did this every single day. In a beautiful letter to his sister written in 1847, he writes about the importance of walking. He says this, above all, do not lose your desire to walk. Every day I walk myself into a state of well-being and walk away from every illness. I've walked myself into my best thoughts and I know of no thought so burdensome that one cannot walk away from it. Kierkegaard was not alone. You look at some of the greats in history, Winston Churchill, Jan Smuts, Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela, well known for his daily walks, even jogs late into his life. William Wordsworth walked, it's been said, as many as 300,000 kilometers in his lifetime, an average of nine kilometers a day since the age of five. I, I, I would just wish he had... I could have strapped my garment, watched to his thing and got some vitality points. Anyway, but, 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 but it doesn't have to be walking. It can be anything. Going to the gym, cycling, swimming, surfing, uh, stretching, breathing, anything that gets us moving our bodies around. We were not designed to sit and stare at screens all day. We were designed to move, to lift, to squat down, to climb over. And it doesn't even have to be vigorous. I know some of you think, oh, that's Tom, you're an exercise guy. You like to do all that crazy stuff. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about simple movement. Finding something active you love to do and then doing it daily. Eat, sleep, move. Now, there's actually a, a book by the same title, Eat, Sleep, Move, by a guy named Tom Roth, who founded Strength Finders. It's a brilliant book. But let me just say this as we close. All this stuff might feel like kind of modern help, you know, self-help philosophy, but it's far more than that. This is biblical. This is spiritual. I mean, just listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 in the message version. He says this. I love this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. I mean, it's right there. Hello? You're sleeping, eating, going to work, 
and walking around life. Tom Roth may have written a book about this in 2013, but God wrote a book thousands of years ago. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. This is what Elijah did. He embraced what God did for him under that broom tree. He ate the bread God provided, the daily bread he promises to provide for you and I. He slept and rested, and then he got up and walked towards the mountain of God, towards his purpose, towards his destiny. And let me just say this, next week, you don't want to miss next week, Wayne is going to look at the second part of our series. He's going to look at the next part of Elijah's story, where he arrives at Mount Horeb. It's a fascinating story. It's the first time in history that anyone had ever returned to the place where Moses had received the Ten Commandments. And God rocks up to Elijah once again at Mount Horeb, but this time he's not in some dramatic fire. He's not in the earthquake or the wind or in some you know, supernatural intervention. This time he comes to Elijah. How? In the still, small whisper. Wayne's going to talk more about that next week. But you may want God. You, we all want God to show up in the fire, perhaps right now. A fire from heaven that, will, you know, that burns up the offering, that solves our problems, that fixes things, settles things with our enemies, fixes the drought. And maybe he will. You may long for him to intervene in dramatic fashion. But what I've found, more often than not, is that it's in the still, small whisper. It's in the everyday, ordinary, walking around, day-to-day -day stuff. The smile from my wife. Friends around a, a meal. The quiet time reading to my kids before they go to sleep. That God so often comes to us and restores us and feeds us. When Elijah was at his lowest, God through an angel rocked up and baked him some warm bread. Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Yes, Lord, it is too much for me. I need your help. I need your presence. I need your provision. Give me your daily bread. Help me to take my everyday ordinary life, my sleeping, eating, and walking around life, and place it before you as an offering. Let's pray. Just, just before we close in prayer, I just want to say this. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. This is what Romans 12 says. And that's what's so amazing about grace. That you don't have to do anything for God. This is not a message about doing anything. It's, it's, it's more about receiving. It's about participating in what He is doing in what He's already done through His Son, Jesus. You see, Elijah, I have to say this, Elijah was merely a predecessor of Jesus. Hundreds of years later, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you think I am? The disciples said, well, some people think you're Elijah reborn. But Elijah was a predecessor. Jesus is the Messiah. The one who came to save and to set free and to restore once and for all. And I really do believe, whoever you are, if you truly want to be free, restored, and if you've truly had enough now, all you have to do is cry out to Him. Acknowledge that you can't do this on your own and He will come and He will fill your life, not just with bread, 
but with an eternal meal. That's why Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. In just a few moments at our, all of our locations around our city, we're going to provide an opportunity for people to come to our churches between 10.30 and 12. You can come at any time and receive a holy meal, a holy communion, something that the church has been doing for thousands of years. And I just want to encourage you, if you are spiritually, emotionally, mentally hungry today, if you're tired, if you're worn out, then come receive a meal. But even if you don't do that, I appeal to you, right from where you are, wherever you're watching this now, I appeal to you just to come to Him in your own heart. And He will give you rest. That you don't have to say enough now. That you would know the truth that He is enough. Amen.